love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Woman podcast. I'm Haley Chura. I'm typically joined by Alyssa Gadeski, but this week Alyssa is doing the One Water Swim Run Adventure Race event in Sweden. It's going on right now, I think, if you're listening to this when it comes out. And hopefully she's doing great. But uh, in Alyssa's place, I have a special co-host this week. Natasha Vandermerva is a, a, has been previously a guest on the show, but she's back this week as, as my co-host. We're going to talk about 70.3 Worlds. But before we get into all that, Natasha, like, I need to know what's up with you. Um, let's start with your own training, because last time you, you were, you know, very much in your pro career. And I know you've taken a step back in recent years, but, but you are training. You have race coming up. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So uh, thanks for having me on, Haley. I appreciate the opportunity and get to speak to you again and been following your career. You've had incredible results this year. Uh, so I just want to congratulate you on that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I know I'm like, a third. I just turned 38 and I'm like, wow, this is wild. I didn't expect this, but, um, but I'm, yeah, just enjoying, enjoying this, the, the, the roller coaster of it all, but yes, yeah. but going back to you. Yeah, so my last race uh, was in 2020, Ironman Florida, and that was basically the only Ironman due to that the COVID year. And uh, I was 39, so funny you say about your age, that was like one of my best executed races. And had I continued to race, I was actually fully confident, like, okay, you know, each year you figure it out, you get better. And I still believe like some great racing years were ahead of me. However, uh, had the opportunity uh, to build my coaching company. You know, I worked with Nick Bear, who was uh, training for an Ironman at the time, and he has this massive me uh, social media following. And so he was filming me coaching him, and we were uh, uh, getting, you know, 300 to a million views on each video, and people were seeing that. And so they reached out for coaching. I was like, wow, I can't coach all these people, so I have to make the decision on do I start a company and have other coaches coach with me, or do I just cap it at X amount of athletes, and this is all I do, I still race. And at the time, I was really excited about the opportunity to build something. And all my attention and focus that I was putting into racing as a professional at the time went into building a coaching company. And so, yes, for like the last two years, two and a half years, I was fully focused on that. I really didn't have any desire to go train. And I didn't like almost at all, maybe five hours a week of some jumping in a run here and there. And then this year, I started to miss it. And it really came about was like, I need to do something for myself. Uh, to feel better you know when you work out you have more energy it absolutely enhances the rest of your day with your focus working and time with a family and so I started to train again this year with the team and, and this time you know when I was training it was by myself now I've got this built-in team around me with incredible athletes everyone is kicking my butt right now and I uh, started being uh, training with them. And I actually put Ironman Maryland on the schedule because I needed something soon enough to make me train, you know, and say, I can put that meeting off. I can put this off, but I, uh, I'm not going to be ready for that. We had so many things come up. I'm traveling for some coaching here coming up as well. 
and I'm going to do just Ironman Florida as well. And I think we're taking about 40 to 50 of our athletes to go do that race. So I'm, I'm really excited to be out on the course versus just out on the sideline with these, with these athletes. And I still have my pro license because it's like the end of the three years. And yeah. so I thought, well, let me do one more pro race and see how I do. Um, I won't be at the level I was. I know the work that is put in to race at your level and I don't have time to do that. But already from this endeavor, I'm like, I feel so much better, you know, energy wise in order to work and and provide a service for my athletes. So that's where we're at. I mean, it, it's great how you are. I'm sure it, I'm sure that that experience is also helping you as a coach because you are like balancing everything, as you mentioned. And uh, Florida was a great place for you in 2020 going back in 2023. It should be, you know, kind of fun to, I always love going back to races sometimes. And like you have the memories of the past you, but then you, and you have the familiarity, but then you're like, wow, I'm here again. as a different person. And like you mentioned 40 to 50 athletes. Oh my goodness. Um, I, I do want to talk about your coaching because I was recently having dinner with a woman from Austin and a triathlete. And she was like, you need to talk to Natasha because she's like everywhere everywhere in Austin. It's just N NVDM coaching everywhere. I mean, she said that you have like a thousand people on your team is what she estimated. I don't know if that's a correct one, but, but yeah. like talk about growing this coaching business. I mean, it's huge. It's, it is, it's, it's uh, really taken on a life of its own. Um, yeah. I mean, we've had since in two years, we've had over 800 athletes come through our program and, you know, it's kind of, as you know, uh, we have the ones that stick with us like year in, year out, they don't ever take a break because always there's something to focus on in the off season to be ready for the next season. But we also have a lot of athletes that they're influenced by uh, again, Nick bear being a big influence of bringing athletes our way. And they're like, okay, bucket list events. I want to do an Ironman or some sort of triathlon. So they come in, we help them prepare for that for six months. And then they go on to like high rocks or the next like, you know, weightlifting competition. And so we kind of have a cycle of that. Um, but we have so many athletes in Austin. Um, I think we have about 150 and we're always training together and always hanging out. And so, you know, we offer three times a week swimming at lifetime. So there's a big contingent showing up three days a week there. We're on the track every Wednesday. There's probably 50 people that show up for our track workouts on Wednesday, Sundays, same amount. So we're just kind of engulfed, you know, taking over the trail when, and everyone notices us because everyone's wearing NVDM. Um, but yeah, you know, it wasn't something I planned Haley. It, it really wasn't, it was like, okay, I have this opportunity. I'm just really going to focus on coaching these athletes really well. And we'd figure it out as we go along the way. And um, so I always use the analogy, the plane took off and we're literally build, putting in the engine, we're building <laughs> the wings. And, um, and then I started hiring, uh, athletes that I coach that I identified as, man, they would be really great coaches as well. And they understand the way I coach, they understand the system of how we do things. And we started giving them an opportunity to be coaches to then help these newer athletes coming in. And so we have 16 coaches now, Haley, and they're all athletes that, um, we coach as well. And so I think you've heard the name like Alice Alberts. She just won Ironman Lake Placid. Well, I started coaching her from like a brand new athlete had never done triathlon really before. And she came in and just so amazing across the board. And she wanted to be able to go full time into triathlon to see what she could do. And so I offered her a position to coach and supplement her training and her racing with coaching. And she's an incredible coach now for us. And uh, we have more and more of that. Uh, Lauren Height just did Montreblanc. She's also now just become a coach for us as well. So it's kind of like a helping those upcoming pros as well as now they're 
coaching others in, within this team. And we're continuing to grow from that. Right. And what is that like for you? I mean, congratulations to you as a coach, yes. coaching an Ironman champion. That's such a huge, huge deal. Um, yeah. You know, when Alice won in, in Lake Placid and, and she's had some really other good results as well. But um, but of course, that win is is what every athlete and every coach really wants. So how has that been for you to like to to coach? I mean, almost your peers, but um, I mean, yeah. and have so much success. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it was one of those things that we, we knew what we had, like, I was just looking at her splits and her power. And I'm like, I know what I know what I was doing. I know what you guys are doing for being in the sport this long. I'm like, and I know her work ethic and her, her mentality. I'm like, this is going to happen. Like we, we're a bunch of coaches here in Austin. We're like, Alice is going to win an Ironman this year or next year. Right. So we called it. Um, but just to see it happen and all come together, like, uh, I wouldn't almost say it was a relief. It's like, it, it, because it's, I had this incredible athlete and I just didn't want to mess it up. So it was like this relief that, okay, she finally like showed it. Here's the thing. Like she still is better than even that result, you know, um, on, on through all their training, but we know how hard it is to put it all together. Um, and so, yeah, it definitely gave us confidence. It gave the athletes in the team confidence because we all kind of follow the same philosophy but obviously it's adjusted to those the specific athletes and their goals and and needs um very exciting i mean i i can't and i it's just the start for her and and uh, very fortunate that i was picked to be the person to help her yeah i love that ripple effect that comes from a good result like you mentioned and other people knowing they're part of that same philosophy um I think I listened to, I, okay, Alice has not been on this podcast yet. She's on the list. I will get to her. I may all get your, her information from you. But um, but I, I was listening to her. I think she was on Endurance Icons recently. And she was talking about how I think her husband discovered you through Instagram. And this is like a new way, right? That, um, I mean, new-ish, like that people are finding coaches. And you mentioned the social media presence that you have. So can yeah. you talk about how much work goes into that? Because coaching is a lot of work. But then this wow. is like a lot of marketing too. Uh, it's a lot. Yeah. So uh, it's something I held off of doing for a very long time because I didn't want my attention to go away from my athletes. I really just wanted to focus on them. And so I said, okay, what can we do where it takes me the minimal amount of time to put myself out there? And honestly, I was nervous for the longest time to just put myself out there because you're so afraid to explain something and explain it wrong. And the biggest feedback or, or not in a way that's not well received and I know the way I coach things, it might not be the most polished and the most educated, but people understand it. And that's actually the biggest feedback I've gotten on like my swim tips that I put out a lot. It's like, wow, that's so simple. I've never heard someone explain it that way. And that actually is resonates with me and now I can take action on it. And so um, part of it was the work, part of it was nerves. I didn't want to put myself out there, but then we said, okay, we're just going to do it. And I hired people. So I hired a media person and it was first Simon. She, he's a professional triathlete and it was a way to support his career, but in turn help me. And what we would do is we'd just say, say once a week, we're going to meet for 30 minutes and we're going to film like these five reels. And I would stand there and speak. And then he would take the time to go film some content to go along with what I was saying. And then it was his job to edit and put it in a video and then he would send me the reel and I would post it. And now I have Will Watson, an up and coming pro athlete as well. He just won his age group at 70.3 uh, Oregon 
And because Simon's moved away, he moved into that role and he does the same thing, but now we're even doing YouTube videos. Um, and, and it's the same thing. I probably uh, dedicate 30 minutes to it. And I, he even writes a script for me sometimes, even though I don't really follow it. I'm the worst at following scripts. I'm better just speaking. And, um, but it gives me ideas of what to say and what I might miss. And then he goes and he works on it all week. And again, I pay him as it's a way, like he moved here, he stopped school, he quit his job in Oregon, left his family, and he moved here with a bicycle and a bag, nowhere to stay, no car. And we've actually had a couple of guys do that. Um, and just, we figured it out. And the team here is so amazing where they're like, hey, can stay with us for a little while until he figures this out and he can borrow my car and hey I have a job like cleaning up this house and we'll pay him 30 bucks an hour to do that and they were like through the team like making it work here and then I was able to offer him a job as my media person and then NVDM has their own marketing person as well because yes we get most of our people from social media and because we're hitting it every single day and consistent people are hearing about it and then also referrals from there. Wow. I mean, this is amazing. And it, how it has created this community and like an economy. And um, if anyone is listening and is interested in your coaching services uh, or just watching your YouTube, your Instagram, where is the best place for them to find you? Yeah. So our website is NVDM coaching. And if you write the email there to contact me, I get it. And then I'm usually the one responding and setting up a call if you want to learn more, but all our information is on the website. And then my Instagram, uh, which is crazy. I started posting swimming reels and I literally went from 20,000 uh, followers to 120,000, like in the last three months, just because like one hit. And it has like almost 2 million views. And then another one hit 2 million views of just like the simplest of like, you know, if you want to feel your lats when you swim. And again, it was something that people could see and understand. And then it just got shared. And it's just crazy how that happened overnight. Wow. I mean, it's so, so cool. It's so cool to see um, you like taking your professional triathlon career and really making it a true career. I think that's inspiring for a lot of us who are racing, but then I also love that you're still racing and I'm so excited to follow you in, in Florida and, um, your 50 athletes as well. It's amazing. Um, and the athletes that you're coaching the pros now that you're coaching, it's very, very cool. You're obviously doing a very good job. I wanted to take a quick minute. We, we had some good races this past weekend and this isn't always a race recap show, but um, you mentioned you had an athlete in Tremblant women's only race final race that happened in Tremblant, which I'm very sad about. Um, I do love that race a lot. I wasn't there, but super excited for Rachel Zelenskis to get that win. Um, she's a fellow Georgia bulldog. So shout out to her and I think Meredith Kessler second and, uh, Menon Ganey as from France in third. So, um, really fast racing and, and then Sweden as well. We had some good racing in Sweden, uh, Lisa Norden getting that win. She already had a Kona slot. So it's, it's exciting. It's, I mean, the women's racing at, at full Ironman distance is very exciting. And then of course, uh, some shorter racing happened as well. Did you follow any of it? Yeah. So obviously I was following, uh, the Montre Blanc race because I had one of my new pros. It was her first, uh, pro race, uh, as, uh, doing an Ironman. And this was only her third Ironman ever because she literally just started the sport last year. So she was a very quick kind of rise into the pros and so really nervous about it. But um, yeah, so I followed that race, you know, no surprises there. Uh, those three athletes are phenomenal, but I, it's it's interesting seeing the depth of the field in the women, which is very exciting um, to see, you know, 20 to 22 strong women um, out on that course. And then of course I followed, I didn't follow Sweden, but I definitely followed the Singapore race.
place and to kind of see what was going to happen here, you know, with Ashley. And then you just had so many people like yourself, like you just did the US Open and then to turn around and what was it two weeks later to go yeah. and race on the other side of the world. And um, the production value of PTO is just so high right now. It's so exciting. I'm sure you've got that same feedback. So really fun to see yeah, Ashley and then versus Annie, uh, Anne Hogg and Chelsea Sodaro and uh, Lucy Charles coming off her injuries. So um, just incredible racing. I can't believe what they're doing out there these days. I know. I can't believe they're doing it and doing those 17 hour flights um, with all their gear, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, it's amazing. I do want to ask because you have coached some of these women who are just so new to the sport and jump into the pro ranks so quickly. Uh, like, what do you tell an athlete, you know, when they're getting ready for their first pro race? Because we do have a lot of listeners, I think, who are you know, thinking about doing a pro race or, or that kind of thing. And, and like, do you have specific advice since you've, you've had uh, several athletes do that? Yeah. I, th I think they're just very focused on executing their best race for the day. You know, you can get caught in this comparison cycle and where you're the top dog as an age grouper, but now you go into the pros and reality is you're not anymore. And then the race dynamics are just so different, you know, with your own start and then you're kind of off the back of the swim, especially if you're not a, a good swimmer like yourself. Um, and now you're by yourself versus in an age group race. There's still tons of people around you at all times, keeping you engaged. Um, but, but that's what we've told, you know, all of them is try your best just to stick to your own game plan, your own race. And, and once we see that you can be in the fold of these races, well, then we need to take the race dynamics into account, you know, of what could happen. Do you need to stay with the group or not stay with the group? And, um, I feel like that, that takes the pressure off and knowing I just talked to them, you know, they're so, so young, so they're still so new. Uh, we're just trying to gain as much experience as possible. So in the case of Lauren Hyde, she actually had a back issue flare up on this race, which had her really, you know, have to pull off, but she's just trying to gain as much experience as possible. Again, it's her fourth race ever, you know, and now racing at this level, um, she needs to go just put herself out there, learn about a bunch about herself, about her ability now as it stacks uh, against these other incredible women. And then from there, we're going to gain knowledge of, okay, this is what we need to do going into next year and then be very specific on the races we pick and the way we go about it. Yeah. Well, congratulations to Lauren on her finish there. And I'm sure just the beginning, very cool yeah. that she's got that experience. And, um, and then we'll pivot now because we are, uh, yeah. Here to talk about the big event happening this weekend, the 70.3 World Championships that are happening in Lati, Finland. The women are racing on Saturday. Uh, there should be good coverage of this. I imagine Ironman, like we mentioned, Trumbull and Sweden didn't have live coverage. We've gotten kind of used to the PTO races, which are amazing and have drones and cameras and just like, you know, very, very uh, visually friendly. But Ironman, Ironman has shown they can pull it off. And um, even though it might be a little bit early in the morning for uh, those of us in the US, uh, you know, maybe some people will be awake or we can always watch those replays. But uh, last week, Alyssa and I did talk to Finnish pro Haney Hardikainen and she talked about uh, the 70.3 World's host city of Lati and gave her thoughts on the course and it kind of surprised me so one of the things she said because she said that this, she thought that swim could be challenging it's a big lake uh and she said the, the bike has some hills it definitely has some hills not like a giant climb like we've seen in St. George or other locations but some ups and downs and then the run they did try to make it hilly and uh break things up a little bit and then of course the cooler temperatures this is uh Finland in in August is is not what we've seen for it's not Kona it's not uh, Singapore it's you know it should be pretty pretty mild temperatures so what do you think as uh about Lati as a world championships venue 
Yeah, I mean, it looks exciting. Um, you know, they have this the Lottie Ski Games there that brings every year 10,000 people out. I always love like a, a venue that has is tied like in a past Olympic games to it or something. So, you know, they know how to host a big event. Um, so I know a lot of people are excited about that. I do remember uh, some issues with just uh, accommodation and all that. Like there's people having to stay in Helsinki and then they're taking a train over. So I looked into all of that. Um, but to speak specifically to your questions here, whether, um, you know, if you compare the weather, 52 is what I saw to 65 it's not that cold when you compare it to St. George, right? right? St. George is way colder than that. And so I still see, uh, you know, for me, I don't know what your cutoff was when you had to add gloves and add arm warmers. But it's like zero. But yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Just, I run a little hot, but I, that's, that's, I, I'm not normal, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I feel like that was the same at St. George. Like not a lot of the girls put stuff on and it was way colder than that. So I'm like 52 to 65, like I don't see any thing where they're going to have to be stopping to put gloves and arm warmers on for those temperatures. I would be surprised. Now the rain could be an, a factor of course. And so it just depends on how hard it's going to rain to where it's really going to make an impact. And in those cases, you see the athletes that have better bike handling skills, you know, and they're more confident around the corners in the rain on wet roads to, to take them hard. Um, and so I think that could be more of a factor than the cold weather. As far as the course, I looked at it again and I've listened to like three podcasts on the, the course and how, if they thought it was hard. And what's interesting is like the actual Finland course goes out into this massive lake. And yes, they do say it's super choppy if you're just going out and back, but they changed the course on the swim for world championships to where it's like in between these buoys and uh, not buoys, but um, these docks along okay. the um, course line. So you can really just stay really close and protected for the first stretch of the swim. And then where I think it's going to get choppy is when you go out into the ocean, you go past all these protected docks and, and then you go out and then you take a right. And I can see that being where it could be a little choppy. And of course you have all the boats out there. It's so funny. You look at the courses so many times and it's completely calm. And then all the media boats get out there and now oh, it's just yeah. wavy. So it's like, you take that into account, no matter how calm it is, I feel like it gets a little um, crazy, but uh, I feel like, yeah, that will part will be challenging. And then you come in, you get between again, these barriers and docks and that probably will calm things down. Uh, I looked at the bike course as well uh, and listened to a few podcasts on that. And yes, of course it's super flat. What I understand for the first 30K, so 20-ish miles. So I think that if you're a strong swimmer and you're getting to this group, like you guys are just going to disappear, you know, off those first 20 miles. And it's going to be really hard for anyone to gain any speed in that first part. And then the back half of the race, there's rollers that come into play. But from looking at the rollers, there's not that many to where you're not carrying a ton of speed from one roller into the next. And a lot of them are so short that especially the pros, they're just going to power over them and keep that momentum versus like thinking I have to conserve. So I don't think that is going to be a factor in the bike course as well. I saw this one little like very sharp climb at the end, but it's so short. It's maybe like 90 seconds for the pros. So again, it's not too big of a factor and they have time to recover from that going into the run. Um, the run is interesting. It's it's kind of, you go out and it's pretty much uphill for the first mile and a half, just like a gradual long climb. But then after that, like you're on top of that shelf, it's flat and then you have a really long downhill, but then you have like two and a half miles, again, uphill. It's like they're taking that first uphill with an extended hill before that. And so that's going to be interesting. You know, I'm like, is that going to be 
play favor to the good runners up to that point. If the bike was so fast, there couldn't really be too much separation, you know, with the group. But come the hills, especially that second really long climb, would that play uh, a factor? And then they have this big downhill into the finish line. So I feel like that's where the moves are going to be made is those two hills. Yeah, no, this is, I'm so glad you did some research. And do you have athletes racing? I need to, I should have asked this probably ahead of time. Yeah, no, uh, funny enough, not like we had so many people qualify in our team and take their slots. And then they went on to qualify for Kona or qualify for Nice. And so all of them dropped their spots just to focus on those races. Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting as well. And I think the hassle of like Finland being a little more logistically challenging was the biggest thing that stopped many from doing that. And then, yeah, they really wanted to just put all their eggs in one basket for the Ironman distance. Yeah. So interesting because, uh, you know, we did mention that, you know, this year, the, the race is happening in August before both the men's and women's Ironman world championships. Obviously you've seen that have an impact on the age groupers you coach and even some of the pros you coach possibly. Um, and, and it's also in the middle of a lot of big races. And so we just saw last year's champion, Taylor Niv. She raced and won the 100K PTO US Open. That happened on August 5th. She also secured her Olympic qualifying spot at the World Triathlon Paris test event uh, just on August 17th. And then she's hoping to defend that 70.3 world title in Lati on August 26th. So that's three big races in four weeks. Uh, what do you make of this busy race schedule? And do you think Taylor can pull off another win? You know, I actually think she can. I think her win in St. George was so dominating. And then the fact that she finished the U.S. Open and she was like, yeah, it was an okay race. And she like won by so much. I mean, I think I have it over here. Um, she won, oh, just barely actually a minute, but still it was now four minutes to the Paula Finley, right? And that was Ashley Gentle. She won by a minute by, but she was not feeling okay about her race. And then at uh, the test, event same thing she was like well this you know the bike dynamics etc but I was going to trust my run and then she ran lights out to get her spot and so that was interesting because her strength is her bike you know but now to have this like wick you know crazy run on her as well I just think she's in such a dominating spot and obviously she figured out for her to recover from US Open and then go race that very important test event qualify for the Olympic Games she knows how to recover properly and then be sharp for the next race I just have a feeling she's going to carry that over again one more time. And do you think it's going to be she takes off in the beginning and just we don't see no one sees her again, kind of how she raced in Milwaukee, how she raced in St. George last year, basically? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, Daniela Rafe is the wild card for me here. And she shouldn't be a wild card. She's a world champion. Right. And her performance in Roth was so dominating, like the only thing. I see it happening at this point. It really depends on how good Daniela Rafe's swim is. And I think mm -hmm. if Daniela's swim is really good, because Taylor's, of course, a great swimmer, being the ITU background, she could be someone that goes with Taylor. And I could see that being a battle on the run. And then I just think Taylor's a better runner than Daniela. So I think it could be like between the two of them with everyone else like closely behind. Yeah, that's so interesting because Daniela did have an incredible, incredible swim in Roth. I think she swam, you know, right with Fenella Langridge, like she was right there. Um, and, and she didn't race the U.S. Open or the Asian Open or the 70.3 World Championships. I don't, or European Championships. She, uh, she hasn't raced since Roth. I don't think, um, maybe I have that wrong, well, she but hasn't. she did. 
she broke that world iron distance record 808 at Challenge Roth, which feels like a fake time. Um, she has five 70.3 world titles. You know, her most recent one was in 2019. So, I mean, it's, it's great that you brought her up. And I think, I, I mean, it is, it's like, it's, it's exciting. Cause I don't think, you know, if we were talking about this, I mean, a year ago, she didn't race and, um, we wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, Daniela could keep up with Taylor, but maybe she can. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's always interesting. Like we've been seeing Taylor race and again, like for in her mind, she's made mistake, mistake, not to race her best. So my mind, I'm like, okay, by the third one, you got to have figured it out. Like you're going to now race your best race or she's still kind of struggling, putting it together. But then you have Daniela who's rested, who's focused. She's coming into world championship season. She has so much experience on how to like show up on these big days. Like, you know, I think if anyone's going to possibly be Taylor, it's Daniela. I do. Yeah. Now I'm like rethinking on my picks. Um, so <laughs> we mentioned, okay, Singapore, though it's far from pretty much everything. And several women did race in Milwaukee and then they raced the PTO Asian open in Singapore this past weekend. And they're flying directly from Singapore to Finland. I think there is a direct flight from Singapore to yeah. Helsinki, which does make this a little bit easier. Um, but it's, it's, that's back-to-back -back race weekends in very different climates. Um, I, I think I was looking at the start list and my, uh, Jackie Herring, Ellie Salthouse and Reishman, Imogen Simmons didn't race in Milwaukee, but she did race in, in Europe. So they have all raced three out of the last four weekends, similar to Taylor, yeah. you coach professional triathletes, uh, how do you suggest to your athletes that they approach their race schedules when you're trying to provide, you know, you're trying to balance the performance, yeah. the fatigue, but also the lure of prize money and just life experience. I mean, it's cool to travel to these places if you could handle it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's a lot. I mean, it's it's not even the racing that is so taxing. It's 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 the travel um, uh, is the hardest on you when you're trying to recover from a race. And so it's like really being on point with you're still getting your sleep, still like nailing your nutrition, not thinking that I'm trying to gain fitness. It's really you're just trying to recover from one race to be ready for the next one again. And so like, if we, I had an athlete that's trying to stack these races, first of all, it's not advised. Typically the pros can do it because they just have so much experience, so much fitness, and they know how to do the little things. Right. Um, but usually like after three weeks, like that's enough, like you need to back off now and recover and then build again for the next race. Um, but yeah, as long as you're not chasing fitness between races, you're just nailing your recovery. Um, we've seen some athletes that get stronger through the races. It's like, it's so hard to put it all together. And so like the first race, you're like, man, this went well, this went well, but if I could have just done this better, you know, I missed my fueling. And then you see them to be better. And then they learn that same thing on the next race and they're better. And also there's something about having a race fresh in the mind and the body that, that they're like, they know what it feels like and they can get back into that place of hurt as long as they're recovered. Um, prior to that, I will say like, you got to know all these athletes have like prepared themselves for those three weeks in a row. So they have trained really hard, really focused. And so they're prepared just to race, rest, race, rest for this period of time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with those athletes because I'm like two races in a row. Sure. Three races in a row. I'm like, Oh, that's pushing it a little bit. Right. And we already saw, um, who was it that came up? Uh, Ellie Salthouse, you know, yes. she had to pull out of Singapore because of the eye infection, like a sty in her eye. And so obviously mm -hmm. her immune system's compromised. And so I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, well that's the surface area. Like how is she feeling otherwise, you know, and now you got to travel again. And then Singapore was such a hard race, like racing in those conditions in the afternoon, that's a much bigger toll on racing in something in a cooler condition. So I don't know. I think they're going to be, 
yeah, struggling for this one personally. Yeah. Cool to say you tried. I mean, you yeah. got to give people credit <laughs> for trying, but yeah, that's a, it's a tough, tough ask. And um, I mean, at least they're racking up some sky miles. Yeah. Uh, so feisty media is based in Canada. And this year we do have a couple Canadians who are ranked very well going to this race. Paula Finley obviously finished second last year. Uh, she was third at the recent PTO us open in Milwaukee and, uh, then she also went to Scotland and raced the world time trial championship. I think she finished 25th there. So, uh, always a contender Tamara Jewett pulled off an incredible early season win. she had a blazing fast run split, I think one twelve at Oceanside 70.3 Tamara was ninth in St. George last year. So we haven't seen her at her very best at a championship race yet, but maybe this could be it. So both Paula and Tamara have been training in Finland for a couple weeks and, I looked it up. The last Canadian 70.3 world champion was Sam McGlone in 2006, which was the first year that uh, the race ever happened. So do you think, you know, we could have a Canadian champion? Yeah. Um, both of them are incredible athletes. Um, I've got to say that to start. Um, I think they're both going to finish really, really high. Like for sure, both of them top 10, if not both of them, like top six, seven, to be honest with Tamara's run speed and Paula's just consistently like up there, like, um, you know, on the try rating, uh, results, like they have her finishing second actually above Daniela Rafe because they have Taylor based on past results, Taylor first, Paula second, Daniela third, and then they have Tamara in eighth as the finish on this race. Um, and so I think they're going to be right there. Uh, and then the fact that they've put all their eggs in this basket as well, I think that gives them a, uh, an edge up on their competitors, but to win, I think, I think they don't just looking at the past results, like the time difference between like a Taylor. And then I think where Danielle is going to come in. I think it's just a little too much. I think they're going to be right behind that though. Okay. And you, I'm assuming since you're based in Austin, a lot of your athletes are also us based and it, it even on the pro side, it seems like the U.S. presence is a little light on the start list this year. Um, I, I counted six, I think, ja uh, in addition to Taylor, Jackie Herring, Danny Lewis, Amy Zimmerman, Sarah Bishop, Brittany Higgins. Um, and I think there were 10 last year. So do you think this is a ge geographical uh, change that is driving this? Do you think it's the scheduling? Um, I mean, you've you've alluded to some of that with your own athletes already. Yeah, I think all of the above. I think um, as a pro, like unless you're getting incredible sponsorship money and you're winning a lot of prize money, which you understand, like that's so low in the sport, it's expensive. It's expensive to go there and you're not getting a prize purse back because uh, it's so competitive. So unless you're in a position to get some prize money back to warrant kind of you going over there to race, it's uh, it's a tough decision to make. And so then you have to say, well, I could race locally, maybe put myself in a position to win some prize money, or a lot of athletes are getting ready for Kona, you know, and that's a more important race for them. So I think finances, I think where the location is, is just too far. It takes them out of other local races where they could be competing and doing well and maybe earning prize money. And then Kona being right after it's, it's just, uh, in some cases it's works. So we've got enough time. I mean, it's, I think it's seven weeks between the two, but, uh, for others, uh, the training, as you know, is, is different and, uh, it doesn't work as well for them in their build to Kona. Yeah. And a few notable names that are missing from that start list do include Australian PTO number one ranked athlete, Ashley Gentle, uh, who just won in Singapore, the reigning Kona champion, Chelsea Sidero, 2019 Kona champ and number three ranked athlete, Annie Haug, as well as the 2021 70.3 world champion, PTO ranked number four athlete, Lucy Charles Barclay. So 
All those women have recorded excellent recent race results, but they won't be lining up in Finland. Uh, we talked earlier about, you know, these athletes who are, who are doing racing, everything who are racing three times in four weeks. Um, and, and you're just assuming, or I'm assuming, I, I don't know if you agree with me, but these athletes are just taking a different approach. Um, maybe they are, as we mentioned, Lucy's coming off an injury, probably isn't ideal to race a whole bunch before Kona. Um, or are they focused on Kona? Ashley focused on the PTO races, obviously. And it worked for her. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, uh, Anne and Lucy are coached by Dan Lorang and he's very much a, if you show up, you're going to win. Like you're not just racing to race. And so you see like Jan Frieden and all his athletes don't race that much, but when they show up, you know, they're going to race really well. And so I think they're just so focused. They just did Singapore and then they're so focused on Kona. So I think that decision was like making sure we're very fresh to go in and be competitive in Kona and probably, you know, try They're in a position to try to win. Um, Ashley, I think is just so focused on the PTO. I mean, she's doing so well in that series. Um, and she's now raced us open and Singapore like this would have just been probably too much for her. And my understanding is she's been traveling and away from home for so long, you know, um, her husband, Josh made a post about the sacrifice that has gone in for her to race at this level. And that was being away from family, you know? And so I think she's just so excited to go home and be with family. And that's, what's keeping her from the start line. Yeah. Still, still lots of competition, but, um, you know, I think another thing that might, uh, might be, you know, one of the things I'm sure that Ashley is why she's focusing on PTO races is the prize money. Um, and so the 70.3 world championship, it features a $350,000 prize purse. So 50,000 to first 25,000 to second 18,000 to third. And that does compare to the $600,000 prize purse that's featured at PTO opens, a hundred thousand to the winner, 50 to second, 35 to third. So, I mean, Ashley gentle made $150,000 in two weeks, not bad. And now she gets to go, you know, hang out with her family. So I'm sure that goes into her decision on why to not race 70.3 worlds. And next year it gets even more interesting because the PTO just announced they have a partnership with world triathlon. They plan to crown a long distance world champion, so do you think the lure of more money and now that world title could pull even more middle distance, especially athletes away from these Ironman branded races in 2024? I would say yes, but they only invite the top 20 to, you know, 25. And only if those athletes are not invited, then does it roll down. So it's like, well, where are all the other pros going to go? So then there's so many pros out there, you know, trying to get to that level and they're, you know, super competitive. So I would say your top girls, they're going to focus on PTO, you know, with that opportunity, um, just the media coverage, the financial opportunity, the fact that they pay so deep in all their races. So like you can go and you can make your money back um, is huge. And then of course, so many people are watching it. So I would ex expect that it's going to attract more sponsorship to those athletes that can be on the PTO. Uh, the distance is great because you can race it and you can recover pretty quickly. It's less than a half Ironman. So that's another thing that I think would draw a lot of people. Um, but then I still think there's going to be a lot of people like all these other 70, like 70.3 athletes, they have to race somewhere. Otherwise where they're going to go. So I think you're still going to see a lot of girls. I, I actually hope that they have a feeder program, you know, like mm -hmm. in tennis, I played professional tennis and you had the WTA that you, you know, as soon as you got to the top 400 in the world, 
you went into the WTA, it was higher prize money, more prestige. But prior to that was the ITF circuit. And, you know, it started with like the $10,000 tournaments, and then you moved up to the $25,000 tournaments as your ranking got higher. And so I'm hoping that there's going to be some opportunity there as well, um, where athletes can race more because you saw the Ironman uh, 70.3 and Ironman schedule. It's less and less races for pros next year. Um, so I'm like, everyone, there's going to be 50 pros on one start list because like that's all you have in April for Ironman Texas yeah. for example so anyway as someone who came through the professional tennis ranks and we know that PTO is is trying to emulate that how do you feel about what the PTO is doing I think it's exciting to be honest and what's funny I told my husband we were watching them do the race tied to the age group nationals of the USA and there were so many people supporting the race and it was such an exciting weekend. I had so many athletes there and I said, it was amazing. And I'm like, man, it would be smart if they, they went and they went to these national championship races and they tied it to it. And funny enough, sure enough, the next week they announced it, that it's going to be something like that, with the age group race. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it's very exciting for the sport. I think it's elevating the status of these pros, uh, again, I wish there was more because uh, there were more pros included in that, but I understand how that works. I mean, you look at Formula One, it's like there's X amount of guys and then you have all these guys working towards to be there, but it's really elevated the sport because of these big statuses. And um, I think it, it's only a positive personally. I like your optimism. And as you mentioned, the PTO races, while they are difficult to get into, uh, they do pay all finishers. So the lowest prize is $2,000. Whereas Ironman branded races do not pay everyone. I think the 70.3 world championships currently pay to 15th, which will earn $3,000. So given your own professional racing experience, your coaching experience, especially with newer pros, what advice do you give athletes who are competitive, but aren't going for those 50 and hundred thousand dollar first place prizes? Um, I guess you're, you probably suggest not targeting the PTO races, but if you get an invite, take it. Of course. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like Alice, we even had that discussion because she's like 60th right now in the world. And so if she keeps moving up, she's going to get that invitation. Right. And then we would definitely take it for sure for her to race and change because she's more of an Ironman athlete. So it, I'd say it'd be worth for us to see if we can, you know, do be stronger in short course racing. Um, but uh yeah, I mean, newer athletes, it's all about just getting experience. So go race anywhere, go race where it's logistically easy to get to, doesn't cost you a ton. Then you get to a point where you're like, okay, I need to start trying to make some money to make this like a sustainable uh, living situation while chasing my dreams. And then you may look at it and say, okay, where can I cherry pick races? And, you know, for me, I always used to look at where there's only a, a pro woman's field typically, and there's all the prize money went to the pro woman's field. And so it paid 10 deep, it paid a little bit more, where, whereas when there's men and women, that prize fund is kind of distributed between the two. And I would go to those races and I knew in an Ironman that I, I was able to, for the most part, able to get into that top 10 um, based on all the races that were going on at the time. And so you can be strategic with picking it if you know where your strengths are and you know where the fields are going. Um, but you need to be competitive enough for that to make sense. You know, I think starting out, it just needs like, what is logistically easy? What do I want to race without even the view of like, I'm trying to make money because it's so tough. The reality is most races, they're paying six to eight 
that's it. And there are always six to eight incredible females out there. So if you're newer to the sport, it's just, it's just not going to happen at this point for the most part. It is hard. And like you mentioned, possibly getting even harder next year with fewer races, at least yeah. in North America. Um, we will be anxiously watching as they release the full pro schedule, but um, we did mention, or I mentioned last year, or I mentioned last, what did I say? I'm sorry. I cannot read my question. <laughs> Um, there isn't, okay. There isn't a lot of overlap in yeah. like who is racing at 70.3 worlds and who's racing in Kona last year and this year. And possibly that is, we see a little bit more specialization, possibly it's geography, timing, finances. There's a lot of factors that go into those decisions as we, we have discussed throughout this whole conversation. Uh, Daniela Reef, who we've mentioned is targeting both 70.3 worlds and Kona, Laura Phillip, Kath Matthews. Those are contenders in both races. We have Pamela Oliveira, Danny Lewis, Maya Stage Nielsen, Hannah Berry. Those are a few names that I saw on both lists. And, and we do have this big rumor that Taylor Nib could be making her Ironman debut on the big island since she did earn a slot as the uh, 2021 70 or 2022 70.3 world champion. So do you expect uh, 70.3 worlds to be a preview of who's in good form for Kona or is that seven weeks between anything can happen? No, I think it is a good preview. However, I mean, you're missing so many top contenders that won't be at this race. And so once you start sliding in Annie Hogg and Chelsea Sodaro and Lucy Charles, you know, it does mix that up all of a sudden. But, you know, outside of those top ones, I mean, all of those ones you mentioned, I fully expect them to do really well in Kona as well. You know, Laura Phillips, she always does well. Kat Matthews, I'm always going to bet on her as well. Daniela Rafe, how can you not? So, um, yeah, I think there will be a bit of a crossover for sure. Yeah. Okay. And now the fun part. I know I'm really interested to hear what your picks are for the podium. We also usually do a dark mare who might not be on our radar, but someone that we should be reaching or watching, watching out for. Um, yeah. So who, who do you have? I'm very nervous to share my own, but I'm excited <laughs> to hear yours. So I think I mentioned already, I think one or two, it's going to go uh, Taylor Nib, Daniela Rafe. And then I think it's either going to be Paula Finley, Laura Phillip, or Katrina Matthews. I just saw Katrina like running through the field at US Open and she would have caught like Holly and all of them um, right at the end had there been more time. And so I feel like she might like run herself, you know, up through the field in this case. But yeah, uh, Taylor, Daniela, and then third would be like Paula, Laura, or Katrina. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Actually, I'm not feeling as bad. I have Taylor Nib, Danielle Reef, Laura Phillip. Um, wait, who was your dark mare? Dark mare. Oh, like, yes. My dark mare. So Amelia Watkinson like really impressed me in Singapore. And I know she just raced, but just be looking at like a recent result. And then I think Tamara Jewett, the fact that she's gone there being is going to know the course. I think she has an opportunity to run up as well. Okay. My dark mare is Katie Kivioha from Estonia. I just feel like she got second at the uh, long distance worlds name. We haven't heard a lot. I think she came from ITU and I just think she, you know, someone to look out for. Um, I actually also raced her in uh, Daytona last year and I saw her on a bike and I was like, oh dang, she's fast. So, <laughs> um, so I think this will be exciting. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. You said that because I looked, I pride myself in knowing like all the racers and I looked at this field. I'm like, my my husband said, you know, this person and this person. I'm like, I have no idea 
where all these incredible girls are coming from because you know looking honestly from 25 down like I don't know most of those names and I would really have had to do some solid research to be able to give a deeper pick there for you oh your picks are so good I trust your judgment at all and everything and so for you as a coach I it seems like you were not you don't have athletes you're not going to be in Finland are you going to be at other races this year going to be in Kona I know I I appreciated the cheers you threw at me on the uh Ali drive last year I'll be doing that again this year. Yeah. So we have 15 girls qualified for Kona in our team. And so I'm going to go out and represent our coaching team and supporting those girls. It's, I only have a handful of those 15 and then our coaches, they each kind of have a handful. Um, and then I'll be at Ironman Florida. Those are the two races. And so you got to do some training while you're in Kona. You got to do some training for Florida. Are you going to like go ride the course just for fun as like a last long ride? Or are you just focused on coaching mostly? No, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very bad at like uh, coaching is always first training is second and when I'm there and it, I'm only flying in on Wednesday night and I leave Sunday so for me to take my bike out for essentially just Thursday Friday really didn't make sense to me so I'm gonna swim the course with the girls one of the days not the full course but just be out there with them so I figured I'd have some swim practice and maybe do it once by myself and then uh I'm gonna run I'll, I'll run out there for sure and keep myself motivated but it's it's so tough when I'm there I'm like you just want to be available for them and again that takes precedence and uh, I'll probably have to do something first thing in the morning to make sure like I take care of myself first yeah also avoid that heat of that day um <laughs> Natasha your athletes are so lucky to have you we're so lucky to have you here in Iron Women thank you so much for offering so much of your wisdom in this conversation I'm so excited to follow the race this weekend um whether it's live or <laughs> slight tape delay but um uh thank you again and and uh best luck to you and your training for Ironman Florida thank you so much I appreciate the time and it was great to speak to you and catch up You've been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Lydia Russell and produced by Ellen Natitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening. <laughs>